Hey, y'all, this is Rob, back with the Rob Report, courtesy of Filthy Rags Outreach. Hope everybody's doing well today. We're going to do something a little bit different today because, um, you know, my heart's pretty heavy, so you guys, please bear with me today. I wanted to start by qualifying something I said last week and just say that uh, I stand corrected. I uh, spoke to you guys last week where my brother had called me out because I haven't been as spiritual as uh, he would like, and I kind of defended that last week, but I had time to think about that, and I want to say that that brother was right, you know, and I could do a better job of being a little bit more spiritual because if we're being very honest, you know, I've been going through some health issues, and so I have definitely been praying to God, you know, to to help me pull through. You know, recently I was diagnosed as something's in my throat. I'm not sure if it's cancer, not sure if it's a tumor, not sure if it's scar tissue from a, a prior surgery. However, you know, it's been affecting the way that I breathe and the uh, way that I move. And so, like, you know, I hide this stuff from people because I feel like the world don't really care about your problems and stuff. And then you're in prison, you know. And so, like, I'm talking to God all the time. So, you know, he was definitely right. I should be more spiritual because definitely I need, you know, I need God to step in and make sure everything is good. But I also know that with the work that I'm doing, you know, I always feel like I have God's protection, you know. So, Yes, definitely. I wanted to qualify that, but I want everyone to know that I'm okay and uh, I'm going to continue to fight, but also I'm a believer, you know, and I just don't believe, I honestly don't believe that it's my time. I don't, I just believe it. it's just God making me stronger. So I wanted to put that out there and just say, you know, he was absolutely right. I'm going to do a better job of being really who I am because maybe God is using me as a vessel to help other people, you know, whether it be a gang member or just a regular person. So, yeah, I'm definitely going uh, to stand corrected on that. Also, I wanted to let you guys know, too, I'm talking about medical. Uh, right now, we're in a bad position up in here because somehow we have TB up here, you know, and uh, it's been spreading, and uh, I don't know what's going on, but they have been testing people, and it's just part of being in prison because, like, even when I'm telling you guys that I've been praying and that I have these uh, issues going on, these guys don't have any sense of urgency to take anybody to the outside hospitals or to get the uh, medical attention needed, whereas if we were free, we could go straight to medical. So that's just uh, something for you guys to know. Don't come to prison because uh, the medical is not good, and a lot of times it feels like they they wait for you to die. You know? And I'm a believer, you know, and I believe, you know, God will deliver me. But at the same time, I also ask God, please deliver me from people, too, because, uh Definitely, we're around a lot of people, a lot of temptation, and there's just a lot going on. One of our brothers, uh, I want to put this out there, too, uh, one of the founders of Filthy Rags Outreach, Alfonso Bell, um, recently we had to get him into a a mental health facility. Um, You know, sometimes in prison, and we've talked about this on the Rob Report before, where uh, prison can make you lose your marbles. Uh, Prison can make you to where you have so much stress and you don't know how to deal with yourself. You don't know how to deal with your environment, the people, and things are going on inside your head. And so um, we had a little battle with uh, our brother not being able to sleep. And so uh, he's been admitted. And hopefully when he comes out, things will be better. And uh, we're going to put him on timeout for a little while and try to deal with his issues. And uh, you guys pray for him. I just, you know, I say that. Um, as we move along, I wanted to uh, I wanted to just put this out here because it's uh, Women's Month, and uh, something I've never done on here is I've never I've never shown my mom the uh, proper respect that I need to show her. And she listens to this show, 
And uh, so, you know, I just want to say this to everybody. And uh, now my mom's listening, so you're, you're going to hear what I got to say. And um, I just want to go back to a time when I first initially got involved into a gang. And, uh, you know, one day me and the fellas, we we went to go play basketball. And so we stopped over at my house. And my mom used to always be at work, so we used to know her schedule. And, then you know, so we used to do whatever we're going to do before she gets home. And then we dip out, you know. And so uh, my partners came over. We went to go uh, hoop. And so we had a 45, and we left it in my bedroom. And we went to go hoop. We came back later on, and uh, my mom was at home early. And we went to go get the gun and leave, and uh, the gun was missing. And we spent about an hour. I think we, I believe we were high. We had smoked some weed and stuff. And we had spent like an hour tearing the room up looking for the gun, and we couldn't find this gun. And um, I don't know what happened. And so, like, my homeboys was like, yo, man, um, your mom got us. And I'm like, nah, nah, my mom don't go in my room. She don't, nah, she don't got us, bro. And uh, I wouldn't ask her anyways. And it was like the hardest thing that I ever did. And, uh, you know, it turns out that my mom did have the gun. And, um, you know, she trusted me enough to give it back to me. But from that moment forward, I was exposed. And being exposed, I just felt like, well, I probably shouldn't come home anymore. The the cat's out the bag. Uh, My mom knows, you know, she knows. And. I think that's, that was like a real serious turning point for me. And uh, so, moms, I just want to apologize because even when I left and eventually I got kicked out of the house, sent back to Detroit, and then when I came back, I had told myself I'd never hurt my mom again, and then I came to prison. And uh, so I just want to say, man, that mom, sorry, and you're a remarkable woman, someone that had a vision, that wanted to come from Detroit to get away from that lifestyle. And, yes, I did let you down, but... You're still a remarkable woman, and I just want to say thank you for not giving up on me. You know, and I can tell you this right now, and I'll say it for the whole world to hear it. I will never let you down again. You know, I want to use what I have to help other people, and I want to make sure nobody ever goes down the path that I went down. So I wanted to just say that out here. My mom's name is Joanne Hampton, and uh, again, you're a remarkable woman. You're strong. You're a soldier. And uh, just thank you again. But as we speak about women, um, Jessica, what's up? What's going on? You got me over here almost in tears. Oh, man. And it's real, man. It's like, man, I never, you know, it's like it's it's hard to put things in words. Like my mom will come up and she'll visit and I'll be like, yo, moms, I'm sorry. And, and, you know, and she's very dismissive. But, you know, it's like I think sometimes in my mind I think like, you know, because moms don't cuss or nothing. And it's like, uh. You know, sometimes it's like, yo, uh, is she mad because, like, I'm the bad seed or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And, like, you know, and so, yeah, man, I ain't trying to be like that. It's just that, you know, we have to acknowledge. And I think a lot of times, me and you talked about it earlier, that a lot of times we don't acknowledge the hurt that we put on women. You know what I'm saying? And even while we're still in prison, we're not acknowledging what, what we really have done and, and how to correct some of these things. And that's uh, and I just see that. um and it hurts me, you know, and so, like, I wanted to use this platform to just apologize and, and just acknowledge the greatness. So I'm not trying to put you in those spots, but since I got you on here, you know, um, we never talk about you, you know. Um, so, like, you know, we've introduced you, but it's like, yo, I don't want you to be in the back, you know what I'm saying? We need to bring you up to the front. Like, people can't just see you as the engineer or somebody that makes the phone call. We need to know something about you, so tell me something that we don't know. Where do I start? 
Uh, where were you born? Let's start there. <laughs> I was born in Seattle, actually. Um, Seattle, Washington, oh, okay. University of Washington Hospital. Oh, okay. All right. Yep. Did you grow up in the neighborhood? I actually grew up, I grew up in Tukwila. Tukwila. Um, okay. Yep. Born and raised in Tukwila. Um, bounced around a little bit during my childhood um, due to some family dysfunction. Um, yeah, my mom, um, well, I don't even know how to start. My, my, my parents, um, my grandparents were from North and South Dakota, and they moved out here. My grandpa was an alcoholic, moved out here with my mom, um, I think in 1973 or 4. I don't know, whatever, whatever year it was, it was the day that Elvis Presley died. So I don't know, oh, whenever wow. that was, they moved out here that day. Um, but they came out here to start a new life. My grandpa was an alcoholic and he was abusive and he, you know, he promised my grandma when, when they moved to Seattle, everything was going to be different. And of course it wasn't, um, I know that's kind of going way far back in history, but, um, yeah, they, my, my mom grew up in dysfunction. My grandpa, my dad's dad, um, he was a biker. He was in a, uh, he was in a biker gang. Um, he ended up getting shot and killed. Uh, by my uncle, my great uncle, in 1981 before I was born. Um, but both my mom and dad were into drugs and then got got pregnant with me, and um, they ended up getting married, continued using drugs, and um, ended up being raised by my grandparents. But that was right, you know, that was in Tukwila. Um, yeah, oh, a lot of dysfunction. Man. Your lifestyle don't sound too far from the lifestyles we got. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, so how was that? How did that like affect you as a young lady growing up? If you don't mind me asking. Um, I want to say like growing up, I always felt like because um, I knew my mom was out there <clears throat> ripping and running, doing drugs, in and out of jail. So was my dad. My dad was in prison. My dad actually was in Monroe. Um, but you know, I always felt like I felt like they didn't love me or they didn't care about me enough to to get clean or to get straight. You know what I mean? Um, my grandparents loved me. There was no doubt about, you know, that they, that they loved me. But, um, I think that I almost felt like I was just there. You know what I mean? Like my grandma wasn't really, um, she wasn't really affectionate. I couldn't really like talk to her about a lot of stuff. So, um, I had nobody to really confide in. So, you know, I tried to just color in the lines and do the best that I could to stay out of the way. I was just, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was going to ask, how did that affect you like when you went to school? Uh, was it, did you have a lot of friends or did you feel uh, that you couldn't make, make a lot of friends or did you would have to share that your parents weren't around or I just want to kind of, I'm just trying to yeah. figure it out. Like in my mind, tell me to ask, like, uh, how was that? Well, um, I think you know, I wanted to fit in, but I don't think I did because the weight of the world was on my shoulders and a lot of my friends that, you know, they were into sports and, um, you know, I wanted to get into cheerleading and or, you know, dance squad and all that kind of stuff. But there was always some drama, something going on and it it never worked out. You know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know. I Yeah, I didn't fit in. I didn't fit in. I felt like, you know, they were all innocent um, didn't have the weight of the world on their shoulders, so I felt like right. an odd one out. Well, my 
my son, you know, every now and then he kind of spazzes out on me and he has a right to. Um, but, you know, one of the things that he lets me know is that, like, um, you know, that he was always upset because he was doing sports and different things. And while I was in prison, um, you know, I wasn't there for him. And then so he didn't feel like, like uh, his uncles or different people, he, nobody was there for him. And so um, he was like, yo, everybody else, what their dads and stuff will be there and uh, their moms and stuff. And they had these happy families. And so like, um, were you like, not willing to share with people that your people, your family was incarcerated or was that kind of an embarrassing type thing for you or did when they had the family parent days, how, how were those things for you? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't really remember it being different. I mean, I know like, I mean, cause I, I moved in with my grandparents when I was like not even three years old, maybe not even two. So I was with them the whole time. They were just, you know, like my parents, but I mean, people knew they were my grandparents um, but you know, they, I wouldn't say like, cause my grandpa ended up, um, leaving when I was 11 cause he beat up my grandma really bad and, um, pulled a gun on her and stuff like that in the middle of the night. And, you know, she finally kicked him out after, you know, so many years of enduring abuse. She was like, that's enough. Um, but she worked. So when other parents would have, or other kids would have their parents come, I usually didn't have anybody to come. Um, so yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, and you know, one of the things I can say is that like, um, that's why I definitely look forward to when we can get things going with like, um, the domestic violence program and different things like that. I think we all have different things, um, that we can share to bring more awareness to that too, you know? And yeah, sorry for that. Wow. I want to just ask you before we uh, transition out is like, um, so like middle school and different things like that, some way, somehow you end up getting to Seattle because um, you end up running the champ before you came to prison. So how did, where were you going? To, how did you get to the Seattle area? Or is Tukwila? Tukwila's not uh, that far how from far Seattle. How far is that from Seattle? Yeah, Tukwila's just oh, okay. the next city south of Seattle. Um, so yeah, oh, okay. it's, it's not that far. It's, you know, it's right, right next to Seattle. Okay, so were you doing a lot of traveling back and forth to Seattle, or like, uh, were some of the fellas uh, heading to Tugwilla? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, because I'm trying to figure out how you guys uh, ran into each other before he even came to prison. Um, well, he went to school with me in Tugwilla, um, South End. Oh, really? Yeah, the South End where he's from. <laughs> yeah, the South End where he's from okay. is not that far. Like, really, it's not that far from Tugwilla. Like, ten minutes. So um, he he was in um, Tuckwilla. He went to Showalter Middle School, and that's that's okay. where I met him when I was like thirteen or fourteen years old. Oh wow! So was he like a little nerd back then? <laughs> no, <laughs> he was a bad boy. <laughs> he was a bad boy. No, let me boy. get serious. Let me get. Was he? Was he okay? Now let me get serious. So I want to ask. Uh, I want to ask. Um, how are your parents today? <laughs> Well, uh, my mom ended up dying of a drug overdose when I was 18. Um, yeah, she was pretty pretty bad into heroin. She got clean for a few years when I was probably like six, seven. Um, but, um, yeah, and my dad lives in uh, Maple Valley, but I haven't talked to him for a few years. Um, we really right. aren't that close. Um, in fact, actually, when I was 27, 
um, I found out that he is not, in fact, my biological father, which kind of created another, um, I don't know, I was kind of going through some things, and then when I found that out, I kind of went even further, um, further down, <laughs> downhill. That was pretty traumatic. I'm right. laughing about it, but it's not, not nothing to laugh about. It was pretty traumatic. Well, you know that they they have like um, you know that you can find out who your father is now, though, right? Oh, I know who he is. It was my dad's best friend when they were growing up. I guess my dad was in Alaska working or something, and then my mom ended up cheating on my dad with his best friend and got oh. pregnant. Yeah, so oh, I know who wow, my biological wow. father is. He lives down in Oregon, but you know, I tried connecting with him and um his wife had a problem with him talking to me because she's jealous or whatever, she's insecure. So when he was talking to me, she was like posting on social media like, "Oh, I'm so glad he has a new friend he can talk and text with and ignore me even more." Talking about him talking with me like I was trying to take her man or something. I mean, really insecure. So I don't talk to him either. Well, I'm going to encourage you to continue to try to still your father. Um and I mean something has to change and with the work that we're doing i mean you know and that's the stuff that we pray for too you know i don't know how uh how urgent you want to meet him but we want to put that in the air too you know we want god to make a way for you to to know your family you have 60 seconds remaining so you can really learn uh, more about who you are too so we want to put that in the air too so i want you to ask god for that that help too you know straight up you know because i definitely think that you're a great person you know, and I'm glad that you share some of this stuff with the people out here because people need to know who you are as well, you know, and it, it takes a lot uh, for somebody like yourself to even work with us on the inside, you know, with us being locked up, and a, lo a lot just has to be said. You have 30 seconds remaining. For the patience that you, uh, that you bring to the table and just wanting to help us out, and I think that that's why the work that we're going to do is going to be so remarkable because... You have a lot of experiences and a lot of things that you probably want to see changed out in the community, and, and we, I think we share the same values. Now, I'm going to call you back, and uh, obviously, and we're going to uh, call up Cheryl. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. I'll catch you in just a moment. Okay. Hey, Cheryl, what's up? Hey, what's up with you? I'm good. This is Rob. Yo, I just... um. Um, Jessica, we got everything. Are we recording right now? Yep, everything's good. Okay. Hey, Cheryl. Yeah, this is Rob, man. Um, yeah, I was actually surprised because I had got the email that everything was a go and that we would go uh, get you on the line tonight. And so, me and Jessica, we really was talking about some personal stuff, uh, uh, some personal stuff uh, that we were both going through prior to getting you on. And so, like, now we got you on here, and uh, I think that, like, when everything is recorded, it's going to be, uh, like, a somber mood because of some of the stuff that we were saying. And so, like, I just wanted to get right into, like, your story. And uh, can you just kind of, like, just uh, just tell the people where we're at mm -hmm. what happened to you and uh, what happened to your daughter, please? Um, well, <clears throat> my daughter was 16. She had a five-month-old baby, baby girl, Melani, and she had come home that morning and said she was going to go out to eat with some friends. And I kind of wanted her to stay home. And I said, well, why don't you guys just all come in and cook and, you know, I'll cook for everybody. And she said, no, mom, we're going to go out to eat. 
And her brother said, well, remember, we have plans tonight to watch a movie and have pizza and just hang out, all of us. And she said, I promise I'll be home. So she went off and did her thing. And about, uh, about I want to say about 1.30, there ended up being a fight between her and another girl at her place here in Bremerton on Soleil. I didn't know anything about this, what had happened or anything until much later. And um, my girls had called me to tell me she had been in a fight and she was stabbed. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And I was like, that can't be true. And we didn't really hear anything later until midnight. But before this, we had um, gotten a call from the Harbor View to tell us that she had been taken over there. She didn't make it. They had her in there less than three minutes, and she was gone. And so about midnight or so, Bremerton Police Department finally shows up. They came with a bunch of police because my house was full of different groups from around here they knew and they thought something was happening i guess and they came to tell me that my daughter had been murdered and i'm like no kidding we know this you know my sons were furious my family was furious that they're coming at this time of the night but not only did they come but they were asking where my eldest daughter elaney was at and i was like why and they said, well, because we think she might retaliate. And I was like, she's married, has children, and she's at home. We're all dealing with this. And honestly, the Bremerton Police Department really screwed up the case in so many different ways, lied to us in so many different ways, held back information from us, told us that she only had been stabbed five times. Three months later, they contact me to tell me it was 25 times and seven of those as my daughter was walking away in her back. And we've just been harbored from a lot of the truth. It's It's been real hard going to court after court after court and we're still in the same place. Nobody's had real time to grieve or to do anything because we just the omnibus keeps getting pushed back and back and back and we were just in there recently a day after her 18th birthday and um they pushed it back again but told us the trial date will stay the same so that's where we are right now is just you know the district attorney doesn't help us they hide things from us they they tell us one thing do another you know, the police lied to us. Basically, my daughters were doing all the investigating for them because they asked my daughters, if you know things, you can find out things. Can you detect, be little detectives and find things? So my daughter was, both my two daughters, Eleni and Jade, were doing all the investigation for the police department. Who They screwed up the crime scene. <laughs> didn't the parents didn't get arrested for cleaning up all the blood did um the knife was hidden they didn't get charged with any of that 
Um, no DNA from them was taken, and we didn't even know that. Um, originally, we didn't. We thought it was just the boyfriend who had videotaped. It wasn't until months and months later we found out the brother also videotaped the whole crime scene, the whole incident. So there was two people, and then they uh, also had three ring cameras in the neighborhood that also videotaped it. So. And I did watch the video and I had to fight to watch that. They were not allowing us, they were blocking us at every point until I finally told them I have a lawyer. And then all of a sudden, two days later, I could see the video. And that was the most horrific thing to see your child being so savagely stabbed. And I don't believe that she knew she was being stabbed. I think her body was just in a large amount of shock just by looking at her because she was still swinging, she was still fighting. You know, I think she thought she was being punched. I don't think she, I mean, just by the look on her face, didn't look like she knew or her body was just in too much shock. So that's where we are right now. We're still waiting for another omnibus coming up in April. And hopefully that's the end of that because the judge told them this family's gone through too much and they need they need progression on this so i'm hoping they stick to their word and but like i say we've been dealing with so many omnibus and we're just tired right you know i uh i did a little bit of talking to people that knew a little bit about it i mean obviously you know we're in prison so like the a lot of a lot of things that happen uh, on the streets, you know, some of the knowledge is privy to the guys in prison. But one of the things that I was tripping about was, you know, the fact that you got people that actually recorded uh, that this girl had a knife. And so, like, in, in my mind, um, people had already recorded the fact that this was going to happen and that you don't even have the premeditation charges and the people that recorded it and didn't break it up. Um there's no charges on that. So I'm just kind of tripping on that. So could you, um, could you just speak to that? Did you guys even ask them guys like, yo, what's up with the guys that sat back and did nothing and recorded this stuff? I think I, when I had talked to, because we, now we only knew about the one. So I had specifically asked about the boyfriend videotaping it because I, like I said, I watched it from, Beginning to end, I watched that, and I watched two of the ring videos from the neighbors. And I asked them, I said, so what are you doing with him? They said there's no law against videotaping. And I said, you got to be kidding me. He's he's videotaped. They knew this was going to happen because she walked out the house with the knife behind her back. You and And he stood there and videotaped all the way to the end where – she came back up laughing, covered in blood. And that's that gives you everything. And you're not charging him. He's not an accessory. He's not anything. They said, well, no, he voluntarily gave up his phone. He told him what was on it. And I was like, so there's no law that's going to make him go to prison at all or get any kind of time or fine or anything. And they said, no because there's no law out there that says somebody can't videotape any kind of crime 
or a fight or anything. So that that was a little unnerving. And the fact I know if that happened. Yeah, that could never happen in my neighborhood. We're getting arrested. We're going to be charged as accessories, and um, yeah, that's not cool. Yeah, it, it they they blocked us at everything. Um, when it came up to us finding out, when we found out that she was getting released because the parents sold their house, we went in. You know, the girls. Yeah, well, we went to, uh, my daughters went to court to plead for her bail to be raised. And the judge said before they could speak, I'm on my way to a funeral. So if this these speeches are going to run any more than a couple of minutes, then don't bother. And he told, told the girls that he wasn't um, really concerned with what they had to say and um, rushed them through whatever they had, you know, their speeches on why they didn't feel safe with this girl being out. And he said, even though he's a judge, he's not raising the bail. It's, it is what it is. And they allowed her to be released with a GPS monitor, and she was only allowed to go to school, um, doctor appointments, her lawyer's office, um, and court so she wasn't allowed to go anywhere else and then we found out she was at the fair she's at parties she's out videotaping herself smoking weed smoking vapes drinking and she's underage but um then when we brought it forward to them we went to court the judge again said well it's not their fault that you know it was 155 hours she's running the streets doing whatever and those aren't accounted for. It's the company's fault. It's not her fault that they weren't monitoring monitoring her at all. So she's still out there, and they moved out out I guess in Lakewood. But we still every thirtieth of the month they do candlelight vigils. They do walks for her. They do protests for her. So, I mean, she gets her name out there, but, you know, and this girl's still continuing to harass my family by sending crazy videos and crazy messages to our our sites, Instagram, all of that. So we're still dealing with all of that, that we daily we're getting something sent to us. And when we send it to the district attorney's office, they tell us they can't prove that that's her and that's her IP address. So we don't get any assistance with that either. It's just sad. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, and uh, I spoke to you earlier, um, we are going to do the best that we can to get justice. I don't even know what justice looks like in America anymore. But like I told (laughs) you before, this... uh, this young lady is a juvenile, so we already know that the juvenile laws are going to apply to her because they only, de- realistically, in this state, they only decline on black people. And I don't say that to to uh, be uh, put a racial lens on things. I'm just being very realistic with the stats, uh, you know. And so I don't see that happening. Nor has she been charged as a uh, adult, you know. But one of the things that uh, I wanted to go backwards on is that. Um, you know, because I know somebody else that knows 
uh, different things. And one of the things is, uh, could we talk about when your daughter, she actually went to a hospital and then the hospital did not help her. And if you could just go backwards a little bit and just tell me what happened. Because uh, sure. I'm being told um, to put her in the car. When she, um, when she came down the stairs after the fight, she walked herself to the vehicle where her two friends were and her five-month-old was sitting in there. So she was sitting next to her five-month-old, Melani, and they called 911, told them they're on their way to their hospital. When they called 911, the lady directed her to the one here in Bremerton, which was no longer a hospital. It was just an urgent care, doesn't have surgeons, doesn't have blood, doesn't have any of that, just strictly urgent care. She got out the car and walked herself in there and was told that they couldn't do anything for her. So she walked herself back out. And as she's walking herself back out, the Bremerton police officer rolls up he literally cursed her out and told them to put her back in the effing car and then proceeds to take pictures of her. Not worried about where's the ambulance, where's anything. When the ambulance did come, they loaded her up, put her in, and literally drove off, turned around, came back, brought her in because the doctor told him to bring her back. And... After that, they so much time was wasted. She was literally, as the doctor told me in Harborview, she was drowning in her blood because she had so many puncture wounds everywhere. There was 25, like I said, in her body, and they wasted so much time. They finally did get her back into the ambulance instead of having the air flight come to Bremerton High School, which they normally do. They had them drive her out to Bremerton Airport, which is quite a ways away. And by, by the time she got to Harborview, she was gone three minutes later after the, she got there. So there was quite a bit of time that was just wasted, wasted, totally wasted. Right. And there was no, they didn't do a life flight at, at all. They just, how did they just drove her to Harborview? No, they did a life flight, but that was at the Bremerton Airport, which is quite a ways away. Instead of having oh, the life okay. flight come to Bremerton High School football field where they land or over here by the grocery store where they land, I don't know why they drove her so far out. But by that time, they were wasting so much. They've wasted so much time and there was no right. real doctor to do anything. Oh, oh and then let me tell you, too, the the. um after the parents cleaned everything up in the house, outside the house, they hid the knife. Now, we don't know if it was the brother, the boyfriend, or the father that hid the knife, but it was hidden between their housing area and Walmart, and it was a lady out walking her dog that actually found it. And they kept telling us, we're going to do trace DNA on it. Of course, my daughter's blood comes back. Lola's on there and they said somebody from the crime lab ended up with their fingerprints on it and then an unknown fingerprint they and they don't know whose that is and I said well that was what we were waiting on so you could arrest one of their family members did anybody get their DNA did they get their fingerprints did they get anything she said no and it's it's not it's not important to the case. I was like, how is that not important to my daughter's case? That was the weapon that was used. 
but they say it's not important and they they're it's i i don't know okay i'm i'm gonna go somewhere i'm gonna go somewhere that's gonna be very uncomfortable for uh people that want to listen but one of the things that i want to do is i want to be very responsible with uh the way I bring through information. And so, again, I'm locked up. So uh, I'm always talking. This is kind of like what I do, you know, as I talk to everybody. And people are telling me straight up that there has been a history in uh, this uh, town of Bremerton that you come from where uh, there's a, they, uh, when it comes to, like, black people, you know, and so um, your daughter was mixed, right? Yes. Okay, and so I'm just yes, going to ask you is. straight up. I'm going to ask you straight up. Do you feel that tension or there's no sense of urgency based on the race of your daughter? I do. And the reason I say this is because literally a week later, a lady, a white lady was stabbed and she was airlifted immediately. There was no, she she was at her job and got stabbed and they immediately airlifted her and she's alive today. So yeah, right. I think there's a lot. You see more black kids around here getting arrested. I mean, my son's dealt with that all their life. You know, they they dealt with it and it's it's hardcore in this town. Right, it right. it is. They're harder on any ethnicity. Uh, if you're, you know, I hate to say it like that, pull the race card. But, and I said it in court, the, not this last time, but the time before, when they just the district attorney ignored us. They they called us all me and my kids to a meeting, didn't go up to the meeting, rushed past us. And if it wasn't from where I was sitting before court started, I heard, oh, we're going to push this back. Didn't talk to us, didn't hold the meeting, didn't do anything. And when they did do this pushback date, it was exactly one day after my daughter's 18th birthday. And I lost it in court. That's when I said, if this was, I, and I never, ever used the race card anywhere. But this is what I, as a parent, was feeling was like, if this was a, say I had a white daughter, if my white daughter was sitting there, this would have been pushed so quickly and so fast, We, our heads would have been spinning how quick this court goes through. But because, and I said it to the judge, to the district attorney, because my daughter is black, you guys are messing with my child's life. You're not helping none of us in my family you're lying and I just lost control. I mean, I, I literally just, I was screaming at the top of my lungs. I'd had enough. I literally had enough. I've been dealing with this for over a year now and it's lie after lie after lie. It's always withholding something. Right. And we just, I'm ready for some action and I don't think we're getting it any way we turn. We get told we're going to get it, but it doesn't happen. Right. And and I think that it's, and I'm, thank you for saying that. And I don't like to use that either. You know, I don't, you know, but I've also had somebody else on here uh, that has felt the same way. Like the treatment is different because you guys choose to cross that line. And 
uh, and then when things happen, you even though you're a victim, you're treated differently because you made a choice. And so, I mean, I, I'm definitely not going to dismiss that. I'm not going to pretend like this doesn't happen out here, you know, when I see it all the time, you know. Um, so I wanted to speak that out there. But also, I, while, while I'm being very controversial, I want to go backwards just a little bit because, like, also the, with the research that I've done, I heard that uh, your daughter was actually – uh, messing around with a group of guys out there that were uh, that gang affiliated, basically, right? And so my my point is that yes. uh, my point is that you know one of the things that I try to bring across uh, when we do this filthy rags outreach work is that for women, I want women to understand that uh, your lives in this gang stuff are very disposable. You know, it's not a it's not a place for a man or a woman. Um, but at the end of the day. Um, you got people out there recording this stuff. And then, so my thing is like, yo, where were these fellas at? Where was her protection at from the people that you're, you're, you're loyal to? Where is this, where is this protection at? Where are these guys, where is everybody at? You know what I mean? So like, I'm having a real problem with that because it's like, yo, like nobody knew, nobody, nobody was there to, to, to intervene or, you know, these guys ain't goons enough that where people were scared to do that because it's like, it's weird for me. Uh, trying to process this, you know. So, like, I mean, what are your what are your immediate thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty upset by it, you know, because it, it, you were the ones hanging with her. You were the ones, you know. I didn't want around my child. I made this very clear to everybody. I kept telling them, I don't want you around my kid. I don't want you associating with her. But they're in the schools now. They're so young. They start in middle school and they're in high school. So, you know, even though you tell your kids this isn't what you want to do, this isn't what you want to have around you, they're hard-headed. They're hard-headed. And she was. But when she was loyal to people, my daughter was loyal to people without thinking about herself. She was loyal. If she says she was going to be there for you, she's going to be there for you. And she trusted a lot of people who did not have her back. And I, right, and right. when I look at them and I see them on the street, I'm not happy with them. And you, they don't look at me. You don't walk, they'll turn and walk the other way because they know I've got a slick mouth and I might say something, you know, because I just think they're just cowards. They oh, weren't absolutely. there for her. They may, you know. That's the way I look at them. No, I definitely agree. But if, you, if they now if if they were in trouble and they needed her, they were quick to call her. You know, they were right. quick to call her. She might sneak out her bedroom window or wait till I was dead asleep. You know, and then I'd have to, of course, hear about it the next day. But it <laughs> it should be the same loyalty. But like you said, that it's a toss away. You know. Right. Now, did they show up at her funeral? Sure, they showed up at her funeral. But the way I look at it, too little, too late. You know, you could have right. been out right. here protecting her. You know, right. we had right. over right. 300 people at her funeral. And right. that was people that really, a lot of people out of town that knew her were family, you know, and came. And I, I saw them, but they stayed at one end you know they didn't get too close they didn't come up because their bro my my son was already snapping on a bunch of them and right. so they didn't they didn't come too too close 
you know, but they, they wanted to be there for whatever reason, too little, too late, in my opinion. Right, right. Yeah, I just, you know, I'm honest in, in the way I feel, and I want to make sure that if, if a young lady's listening, I just want them to, to, to look at what's happening to you and understand that, you know, this can happen to a lot of the younger ladies. Like, you know, a lot of stuff's happening on these Facebooks, different arguments and different things like that. And they're not ending in just a fist fight anymore. They're ending in, in death. No. And we have to do what we can to save our young women and educate, you know. So, like, I definitely appreciate you even using the platform because if nothing else, we're going to educate some young women. But also, um, I think we're going to educate some victims because you're a victim and you're really being dragged by the system, which sucks to say because, like, the system will never admit, yo, I'm going to drag you. But you're you're being dragged. Like, uh, for example, you just hit on the fact that the day after your daughter's birthday, they uh, had you go to court. And I just want to double back on that a little bit because you said that you were going crazy. So I wanted to talk about some of the, uh, the pain that you felt afterwards when you start going into your dark place as a victim. It wasn't good. I was drinking way before her birthday because it was it, it's also the day we buried her and that just it wasn't because that's what we wanted it was that was the only space they had open and we needed to do it so we just agreed that we were burying her on her 17th birthday and so for me to go to her 18th birthday which was she was so looking forward to this day. She had big plans. She was telling everybody, this is what I want. This is how I want it. And we all agreed we're going to give her this, you know. And so for her not to have that and not to be with her daughter, who is now a year old, you know, over a year now, and she doesn't get to spend the time with her, doesn't get to do things that she wanted to do, which was one she loves tattooing. She loved piercing. She wanted to go and be a nurse. Those were her three things that she wanted to do. Those were her goals for her daughter, to have the money to give her daughter everything. And so I did. I started drinking literally three days before, and I just continued on and on and on. And I got to the point where I just wanted to go to sleep just to, sorry, just to be with her because it is so painful. I don't. And so I, I took three of my oxys because I had surgery and I just wanted to go to sleep just to be with her because it's painful to look at her, to look at Melani and know that she's lost everything. This girl has taken everything from my family and mostly from Melani because she never gets to experience the wonderful mother that she was to her for just five months, you know? Right. And so everybody just loves on me and she knows what her mom looks like. She, I have video recordings on here. Sayona always sending me silly dances and singing and, laughing and just telling me a joke just because that's how she was and mail open up my phone and go right to those and she'll just say mama i love you and kiss the phone 
And when she sees pictures of her, she cries because she's missing her. Okay, listen, And this Cheryl, girl's out walking in the streets. I hear you. Cheryl, listen, I got 60 seconds left and I got to go. But what, this is what I want to say to you. And I want to say this to everybody out there. But number one, I want you to know, and I, I definitely feel every bit of your pain. Uh, but we have to still be there for that one-year-old. You have 30 seconds remaining. I want to say that to you is that we have to like dial back to drinking. And I understand what you're going through, but we have to uh, be there for that one-year-old and, and raise her the way your daughter would want her raised, you know, and she needs you there. So I definitely thank you for the time that we had right now. And uh, I just want to like really just focus on that one-year-old. If I can leave you with anything, and if that's cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> yeah, I have not. I've not heard that whole story, but, um, man, I, I I can't even imagine. My daughter's sixteen right now. She'll be seventeen in September. So I, you know, while you were telling your story, I'm just imagining, you know, what what would I do if my daughter was to go hang out with her friends and then I find out every, you know, everything that you're going through. I just, you're so strong. I'm trying to be, believe me, but there are, like I said, there are days that I just miss her so much and it's just, it's, it just feels like it's killing me inside. Well, I'm going to keep you in my prayers, especially with, you know, what this whole court process you're going through. And I know Rob is, um, you know, trying to get some support for you uh, to show up at court dates and things like that. And, you know, if there's a court date that I don't have to work um, or a big court date, you know, I'll try to be there for you as well. Thank you. I appreciate you guys a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't even know. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get the, the story out. Hopefully somebody, somebody that can, you know, pull some strings or make something happen. You know, we got to get the word out. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jessica. All righty. We'll talk to you later. You have a good night. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.